0: Good evening, brothers and sisters. I'd like to turn your attention to God's word. Genesis 48 is our Old Testament text this morning this evening) Genesis 48, we'll read the whole chapter. Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, Look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine, as Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Your offspring, whom you beget after them, shall be yours. They will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, These are my sons, whom God has given me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. And Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact God has also shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees, and he bowed down with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named upon them in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly, his younger brother shall be greater than he, And his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. Our New Testament text, again, Hebrews chapter 11, 8 through 22, these words we read in conjunction with the passage in Genesis just a couple of weeks ago, Uh, but they fit so well here, especially as they bear, bear, bear on the end of Jacob's life, as we've just read in Genesis, so... Hebrews 11, 8 through 22. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland, And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. That ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray now. Our God and our Father, we bow before you and ask once again that you, the author of this word, would plant it deeply in our hearts, that our hearts would not be stubborn, unbelieving, cold or distracted, but that our hearts would be receptive, tender, easily shaped and molded in your hands, hearts of flesh, not hearts of stone. Lord, this is the work that you alone by your sovereign spirit can do, and so we pray that you would do it for the glory of your name, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. A long time has passed since the events of Genesis. Thousands of years have passed. And all those promises that God made are still our promises, aren't they? As we read the Bible, brothers and sisters, all the promises are our promises. All the promises, the purposes of God for His people, are ours in Christ Jesus. The promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are not obsolete, they're not relegated to the dustbin of history. But they're promises in Christ for us, very relevant to us, uh, very precious to us. You can think about the different promises we've we've seen. The, the three main promises that are the backbone of the book of Genesis: uh, the promise that that God is going to make this make make Abraham into a great nation. That's the promise that we have also in Christ, isn't it? We're part of the fruit of that promise. We ourselves are part of that great nation, more numerous than the stars of heaven. As the gospel goes out and children of Abraham, by faith, uh, come to come to the living God and become part of his covenant. God is still purposing to make his nation a blessing to the the whole world, isn't he? Through Abraham, he sent the Christ. And now he sent out the church to proclaim that Christ, to hold out life and blessing to the world that is under the curse of God. And then he's also still purposing to bring us to the homeland, the heavenly promised land. That's still our inheritance, even as it was Abraham's, Isaac's, and Jacob's inheritance. It's still God's promise to us. It's still his purpose for us to do this same thing for us. 2 Corinthians 1.10, all the promises of God are yes and amen through Christ So the purposes of God that we read about in Genesis for the patriarchs are also his purposes for you and for me still. But just as God's purposes remain the same, as they did then, we remain in many ways the same. And the struggle to trust God's promises, trust his purposes... That we see in the lives of the patriarchs, those are the same things we see in our hearts as well, don't we? God gives these promises, but we we still doubt them. We look at the sin in our lives, or the obstacles that are so big, to our eyes, to the promises of God, and we think, how can God do it? The promised land seems so far away. Uh, uh, what, what God has promised seems so far away. And, 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 and I have so much uh, that I have to overcome, so many obstacles in my life between me and the purposes of God. How can this really come to pass? And so where, we, where do we look? Well, we look to the God who made the promises in Genesis. And he says to his people there that by his presence with them, he will achieve his purpose for them. That is the fundamental truth of the covenant of grace. By God, God, by his presence with us, by being with us, will accomplish his purpose to save us. That is, uh, that, that is what we see in this, in this chapter. We get here, brothers and sisters, substantial food to nourish and strengthen our weak faith. God tells us here that he is present with us to accomplish his purpose for us, to bless us and bring us to the heavenly promised land. I want to look together tonight from this passage uh, at four essential lessons about God's blessing that we learn in this chapter. Four lessons about God's blessing from this chapter. First of all, Verses one through seven, we see that God's promised blessing is rooted in who He is, and that it determines the whole course of our lives. Uh, Jacob here is recounting God's blessing. He's talking to Jacob, uh, to Joseph. He's sick. He knows he's dying. He wants to see his son, and he's recounting some things to him about how God has has uh, has been His God for him, and so he speaks a word of blessing. Um, but as, as he speaks to his son, as he, as he begins talking, you notice that he does not talk about himself so much. His focus is, is on God. His words in verses 3 and 4 are, are, are completely focused on who God is and who God has been for him. He says there, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting inheritance. Jacob is speaking to God's promise to him back in Genesis 35, where God promised him that he would make him fruitful and multiply him. And at at that same point, God also was at at work in his life uh, to, to rename him. To give him this new name of, of Israel, an important thing for him. But Jacob doesn't mention that here. He's not, he's not so focused on, on that. He's focused on God. One commentator writes, Jacob does not say to Joseph, Son, let me tell you what God did for me at Luz. Rather, he implies, Son, let me tell you about our God and the precious promises he made for you and the family and, and our families. So he reminds Joseph of God, of, of who God who God is. He uses the name God Almighty. We've seen that name show up several times in, in Genesis. It comes at these critical junctures of God telling the patriarchs who he is. Genesis 17, God comes to Abraham and says, I am God Almighty. Why does Abraham need to know this is God Almighty? Because how else is the promise of a child going to be fulfilled? Um, God comes to Jacob as he runs, fleeing from Esau, afraid of dying uh, by, by his brother's hand. God comes to him and says, I'm God Almighty, El Shaddai. Uh, I, I am the God who will protect you, who will t- take care of you. As Jacob comes back many years later to the promised land, God again says, I am God Almighty. I am the God who is able to do all that I've promised to do. Then he reminds Joseph that God, God Almighty is the God who appears to his people, um, the God who, who comes close to his people, and the God who tells his people who he is. Jacob didn't always... Uh, know these things about God. But over the course of his life, God has been at work in him, at work in his heart. And and now uh, Jacob has learned about who God is through through, through God's providence in his life and through God's revelation to him. And Jacob wants Joseph to know these same things, that God is the God who comes near to his people. Then third, he reminds him of God's promises to him, of a, a people, a people and a place. He tells him, God promised me, I'll make you fruitful and multiply you. Why does God take the time, uh, excuse me, why does Jacob take time to recount this to Joseph? Joseph should know these things. I'm sure they've had this conversation before in some ways. Joseph, Joseph should, should know these things, but Jacob knows that, that faith needs constant feeding, doesn't it? that if, that if uh, Joseph is going to be strengthened, if the generation after him is going to be strengthened, as they wait in Egypt to go back to the promised land, they need to know that everything in their lives depends on the blessing of God. Jacob, as he looks back over his life, he sees all of it, every moment of it, is the result of God's blessing, God's gracious, powerful blessing. And he wants Joseph to know That his whole life, everything in it, is under the blessing of God and the direct result of the blessing of God. Now, Jacob did not get, uh, excuse me, Joseph did not get what Jacob got, did he? Jacob got these visions of God himself coming and he'd hear the voice of God speaking to him. Joseph, we, we don't have accounts of these same things happening to him. Nor do we after in the, in the, uh, in, in the days uh, that follow for the 400 years that Israel is in Egypt. God is not coming. We don't have a record of it, uh, of God coming to speak directly to his people. So Jacob is saying, it's okay that God doesn't come to tell you this. He told me, and it's, it's for you too. And he wants him to live under this powerful blessing of God. And loved ones, even as it was for Jacob, for Joseph, that God's blessing stands over their lives and controls their lives and directs their lives. So it is with us. It's the same for us. The powerful and gracious Word of God determines your life as a Christian. Your whole life flows out of the blessing of God on you. In particular, as I was. Meditating on the words here that that Jacob is telling Joseph about how God comes to him and says, I am God Almighty. Remember who I am. Here's what I've promised to do for you. I'll make you fruitful and multiply you. Brings to mind the words of our Lord Jesus Christ as he departs from his disciples. Um, Matthew 20, verse 18. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I am God Almighty, right? There it is. He's saying, I have the power. I have the authority. I have the might to accomplish my purpose for you. Jesus has made that promise to us, even as God made the promise to Jacob. I'm God Almighty. And then, right, even as God goes on to promise Jacob that he will make him a great nation, what does Christ do? He says, I will build my church. Go make disciples. I'll make you fruitful. I'll multiply you. Go to the ends of the earth. It's a command, but it's also, it's also a promise that Christ himself will fulfill his great commission through us, calling this, uh, this elect from every tribe and tongue and nation to himself. And God reminds Jacob of his presence with him. This has been a theme throughout his life. And our Lord Jesus Christ says, verse 20 of Matthew 28, he says, Behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age, the covenant promise of the presence of God to accomplish the purpose of God in us. And so our lives, no less than Jacob's life, no less than Joseph's life, they stand under the word of our Lord Jesus Christ, His blessing on us, His word to us. What an encouragement that is as we wait, like the Israelites waiting in Egypt for 400 years. As we wait... We're under the blessing of God, His purpose will be brought to pass. The second thing we see the second thing we see in the text is God's blessing goes from generation to generation. Verses eight through sixteen here we see that there are no gaps in the coverage uh, for the promises of God, the blessing of God. Jacob uh, Jacob now calls on God to bless Joseph's two sons here, Ephraim and Manasseh. How does the blessing get passed on in the covenant of grace? We've seen it with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob so far in this covenant that God has made with them that with each new successive patriarch, God comes and God himself blesses. The father often blesses the son in these relationships. We see Isaac blessing Jacob and Esau. Uh, now Jacob blessing his children, but God Himself has has come to Abraham and spoken to him. God Himself has come to Isaac, spoken to him. God Himself has come to Jacob and spoken with him. But again, that doesn't that doesn't happen with Joseph. Jacob is is passing on the blessing though, and it's the very word of God through him to his descendants after him. So he speaks this blessing. He speaks it to Joseph's sons. Why does he do this? Why single out Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and give them this blessing? Well, it's a way of showing his love for Joseph and, and Joseph's preeminence among his brothers. Um, he is effectively raising Joseph up to a peer with himself, uh, putting him on the same level with himself as, as, a, as a sort of patriarch. And he's raising up Joseph's sons to the same level of Joseph's brothers and giving them an, an inheritance with his brothers. He's effectively giving J- Joseph a double blessing, a double inheritance in the promised land through doing this. Um, he, he does this uh, to show honor to, to Joseph. And so Joseph brings his sons, and Jacob places his hands on them, and he blesses them. And once again, we see that his words are, are rooted in the past, he reminds them of who God is and, and what God has done. And again, his words reveal his, his sense of God's grace to him. Um, he begins by describing, in his blessing here, he, he begins by describing Abraham and Isaac and how they walked with God. But then interestingly, he doesn't say, and then I walked with God. But you know, in a sense, God, God walked with me. He doesn't give himself any credit at all. He says, the God who has fed me. Or you could translate it: the God who has shepherded me. He looks at his life and he sees it's all the grace of God to me. He shepherded me. He was with me. He was close to me. He was present with me, and he's guarded me and he saved me from from all evil. This is who God is. This is who he's been for me, and now he turns to bless. Uh, bless bless Joseph's sons, to pass on God's blessing for them and say, this is who God has been for me. This is also who God will be for you. This is who he's been for me as I sojourned in Canaan. This is who will be for you as as you sojourn in in Egypt and all the generations after until we're back in the Promised Land. We see this as he calls on God to bless these boys. Um, he, he asks, he, he, he gives them this blessing that they carry on the, the family name. He says, God's relationship with you is exactly what it was with me. You're going to have my name. You're going to have Abraham's name, Isaac's name on you. You're part of the family. The generations, the subsequent generations, don't weaken the covenant identity and the bond that you have with your covenant God. You are His forever, and you have the family name. And then He calls on God. To make them a great nation and to bring, them, uh, to bring them this great fulfillment of the promise. He's saying, the covenant doesn't change just because the generations go on. God's promises don't change just because the generations go on. The promise to me is promised to you also. And loved ones, this is also what we receive in our Lord Jesus Christ. All the generations since Abraham have not weakened the promise or diluted its potency. And um, all the generations since Christ have not weakened the promise or changed God's purposes for us. God still says to us, I give you my name. and You're part of the covenant. And we're baptized. He places his name on us to show that we are now his forever. Lord's Day by Lord's Day, the Lord places His name on His people in the benediction. And then uh, we also get this promise that God will grow His church and that He will not stop until all His elect are brought in and that as He has shepherded the saints of the past, so He will shepherd us generation to generation. We cannot wear out His faithfulness. Third thing here, God's promised blessing on you is based on grace. Based on grace. We see this in verses 17 through 20. What's going on here? Jacob is going to bless Joseph's sons. Joseph brings these twin boys, Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh is the older one, so he puts them on uh, the right side of Jacob so that he'll bless him with his right hand and he puts the, 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 the second born Ephraim on the left side so that he'll bless him with the left hand but Jacob knows exactly what's going on and, and he switches so that he's blessing with his right hand the second born Ephraim and with his left the first born Manasseh why, why is he doing this J- Joseph tries hard to make him stop he tries to move his hands he says uh, dad, dad what are you doing uh, you've got this mixed up um, but his father's word to him, I know, I know. He says it twice there. Um, what What is he doing? Both boys get the same blessing, in a sense. They, they both get the same exact words spoken over them. Um, both boys are going to be richly blessed by God. But but there's something special about the right hand. Right? It symbolizes just a greater degree of this blessing, a greater significance and, and preeminence over the younger son. I mean, excuse me, over, over the older son. Um, why, why is Jacob doing this? Well, God has given him foresight into the future. He knows that Ephraim's descendants will be greater. Um, so he, he's giving him the, the greater blessing. Uh, but, but this isn't the only reason. I, I think what's under this, what underlies it, is this same theme we've seen throughout Genesis. Uh, of, of reversal, that, that God's grace reverses human norms. Um, this is not the first time we've seen the younger receive the better blessing, is it? We've, we, it goes all the way back to the very beginning of Genesis. Abel's offering, the secondborn's offering, is received, is accepted in God's sight. Cain's is not. Um, Isaac is chosen, not Ishmael. Jacob is elevated above Esau, Joseph is elevated above his older brothers. Jacob is reminding Joseph of this fundamental lesson that God's covenant depends on grace, not on not on human norms of, of who's important and who deserves it. It's, it's about grace. God's choice is based on, on his grace. If he's blessed you, it's not because you deserved it or you earned it. Jacob has learned this lesson perhaps better than anyone yet in Genesis, hasn't he? Um, he knows now how he did not deserve the least of all God's mercies to him. Right? He, is, he, is, he is the epitome of, of the undeserving sinner who is blessed richly by the grace of God. And he wants this lesson to stick throughout all Israel's history. God chooses the lowly. Uh, God God chooses what is weak. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Loved ones, again, what an encouragement to us that we receive God's blessing not because of who we are, but because of who he is. That is not based on goodness in us, but on grace in him. And therefore, his promise will stand. His promise will stand forever. The fourth lesson we learn about God's promised blessing here. The last lesson here god's god's promise blessing on you is guaranteed by god's presence with you god's presence guarantees god's promise to you as the chapter comes to a close jacob reminds joseph of god's presence with him especially about the inheritance that is waiting for them back in, in Canaan. He reminds him of God's promise. He reminds him of, of what God is going to do to bring bring them back there to, to Canaan. Um, this is a promise that the people of Israel are going to need. They're going to need to hold on to this because, as I've said, it's going to be it's going to be generations before they're back. They're going to be in slavery. And it's going to look like it's impossible to get out. Um, so they need this promise to hold to hold on to. Jacob tells his son Joseph that he's already won a little piece of this land with his own sword and bow, and he promises that this will belong to Joseph's descendants. But, but, But the focus here is on verse 21. God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Jacob can die at peace in Egypt, far away from the promised land, because he knows God will be with you and he'll bring you back. Joseph is going to die here too. Joseph's not going to go back. Yet Jacob says, God will bring you back. He knows what they're looking to is this this heavenly promised land and that no matter what obstacles might appear to be insurmountable to them, God will accomplish His purpose to bring them safely back to that inheritance. And loved ones, it is the same purpose that God has for us. What does our Lord Jesus say in John 14? As He leaves... He says, if I go, I'll come again and take you to myself so that where I am you may be also. How does he make that promise happen? He goes on in chapter 14. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I'll be with you. I'll be present with you by my spirit. Loved ones, he is inseparably present with us by his spirit. And He will bring us home to Himself. This is is the irreversible guarantee of His covenant with us. If you have Christ, you cannot lose Christ. If you have Christ, you cannot lose His Spirit. He is with you. He lives in you. The New Testament goes on and teaches us that the Holy Spirit who is inside us, God Himself within us, is actually the guarantee of our inheritance. It's the down payment of our inheritance. Ephesians 1 says, "...in Him you also..." When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In other words, if the spirit is yours, heaven is yours. No doubt about it. And so even as Israel waited those long years in slavery in Egypt. When is God going to bring us home to the inheritance he promised? Will he fulfill his purpose? And as we wait, years go by, years go by, when is Christ going to take us home to the heavenly inheritance that he promised? He's with us. He'll do it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence with us in the covenant by your spirit that you yourself dwell in us and you will not leave us or forsake us. We pray that you would indeed fulfill your purposes for us, to bless us richly in Christ, all for the glory of your name. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.